Hello, I'm John Cameron, and welcome to Musicology. I, I'm not here to make money. I mean, I, I think if I really wanted to make a lot of money, my music would sound very different. It would be a certain kind of way. Um, I really just want to affect, I want to cleanse myself of whatever I'm going through at the moment, and I want to reach out to people who, who can relate. Muse of the novella, the mythos, and the now. A consistent innovator of truly timeless music and a discography that any artist yearns for. The challenge is about making music that you say to yourself, you don't know when that came out. Because to me then, I've done my job of hopefully, and this is hopefully, making something that's timeless. And that's really the challenge for me. story of a Haitian-American self-proclaimed nerd with a distinctive afro, composing music on a cheap Casio keyboard at the age of 17, to having one of the most defining albums of recent times and redefining sexiness for that generation. I was incredibly straight edge. I had no other options. I wasn't supported in terms of my family. It was not about me being into music. You, you're either gonna like be a doctor, become a lawyer, or we're, you're gonna be out the house. So uh, I chose the third. I was out the house. the long breaks that would challenge his fans later in his career, at the beginning his profile was pretty consistent. Some might consider it an impressive output based on volume alone. And for music to be able to travel so far and to be in someone's life like that, that's the thing that sometimes is, 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 is beautiful and sometimes incredibly anxiety-filling for me because it's like, I don't want to disappoint you. groundbreaking. It developed the sound of soul in the 60s, the funk in the 70s, and the quiet storm of the 80s to meld what would be dubbed as neo-soul in the 90s. Marvin Gaye, Prince, you know, Sam Cooke, Harry Belafonte. When I was a kid, I would look at like Marvin, and I would see him and he'd be all dolled up and you know, he'd sing that smooth stuff and he had the ladies, he had the guys crazy. Um, he would write social political things. Um, then there's Bob Marley, I mean, but then there's David Bowie too, and Bob mm -hmm. Dylan, Elvis Presley, and then there's Sade. Mm. I mean, forget about just the guys. I mean, there's Sade. There's so many people that I looked at and went, if there's like a slim chance that I could probably get to this place, maybe like this much, I kind of want to go down that road. 
Urban Hang Suite was more than a revolution of a revolution, being Neo Soul. Released in 1996 after having sat on the shelf at Sony for a year, its eventual exposure was a result of D'Angelo's success with his Brown Sugar album, which was worked on during a similar time period. Its composition is masterful. While Maxwell himself is a brilliant arranger, the album features a mix of known and unknown musicians, but there's no deviation in the quality between players. Its exploration of lust, love and despair were not typical to the assumed level of someone in their early 20s, no matter how creative or aware. I was a, a busboy, this is how I like, supported myself while I was in high school to try to get instruments and I dated a girl that was working at the restaurant and that whole album was basically dedicated to her. After creating a demo tape and playing the New York nightclub scene for only a short time, Maxwell signed to Columbia Records in 1994 and began recording the beginnings of what would become his debut. Um, no, I had no idea that they would wow. even take me. I mean, straight up, I was thinking if I was lucky, I'd write a song for Anita Baker. And then, you know, I walked in as a, as a songwriter and then Mitchell Cohen, he, um, he was like, you know, you could kind of be an artist. And I was like, but well, I'm kind of scared because you know, people talk ish a lot, you know, and you know, it was very scary to put yourself in the, in, in the target zone of people's opinions and criticisms and even their love because sometimes you don't, you, you get, you, you're fearful that you don't meet, you won't meet the challenge of how great they think you are or you won't be as good as, as bad as they think you are. So um, I reluctantly walked into that. Ascension was a collaboration between Maxwell and Atal Shaw. Having exchanged ideas at a giant step club in New York, they returned to Atal's apartment to write a number of songs, but this would be the one that made the final cut. Baseline from Jonathan Marin, one of Shaw's frequent collaborators and fellow Groove Collective member, Ascension stands out as Maxwell's first hit and a perfect introduction of what to expect from this new artist. The track, like many others from what would be the Urban Hangsway album, didn't just have life in this form. After the album was finally released, it would have its feature as a single. Those buying it, though, were in for a very unexpected surprise. The majority of singles released around the world would not contain the version you hear on the album. You gave me the beating, baby. This rhythm Shouldn't I realize? Shouldn't I realize? 
Sampling the SOS band's No One's Gonna Love You, the tribute remix is not just a remix, but a complete re-recording, including the vocals. Remember, Maxwell started working on these songs as early as 1994. By the time the public got to hear them, this young, innovative artist is arguably in his prolific creative prime, different from when they were written. Sure, the remix is great, but the original is a classic. It's a shining presentation of what the neo-soul movement had to offer. It's the perfect song, in a discography to be filled with many perfect songs. I remember like when I was getting the opportunity to get the deal, because it was, it was a development deal, and I got to do three songs. Those three songs were Till the Cows Come Knocking, Ascension, and something, something. And they were reviewing whether those songs were going to be important for them to actually extend to me the opportunity to make an album. And I remember the day that I knew that that decision was going to be made. I remember just saying, if God, if I get this, I promise I'll be so good. I promise I'll do everything right. All I want general descriptive of the track wouldn't be too dissimilar from that of Ascension, but Something Something seems to double down on the pumping bass line, as provided by Rare Essence member Mike Neal. Maxwell had many amazing collaborators on the debut, but none of them were quite as legendary as Leon Ware. Max is, he was refreshing because in working with him, in my estimation, was really studying the business, the business as well as the art form. He will be remembered as a very profound artist because there is those that do entertain, but then there are artists that you take home and you become a part of people's life. That, that's what I think Maxwell will afford the world and, and himself. Its lyrics are more tongue-in-cheek, perfectly matching the soul and funk fusion that probably would have been a classic in the 70s. It was also remixed, and not just once. More so matching the album version's feel, the Mantra remix does appear to feature the same vocal. However, additional background vocals have been added to better match the entirely new instrumental. If two versions weren't enough, 
or you're not entirely feeling the funk of either, there is another, with an entirely new vocal and second verse, Mellow Smooth. We did something something first. All the singles that came out off of the Urban Hang Suite album, like we had seven songs, like little mini EPs for each single. So something something was the mantra one, and so Mellow Smooth was part of it. Fast forward, it got shelved. I was watching everyone be released, feeling like a complete loser, talking to Stuart Matthewman over like dinner and having him go, it's gonna be all right, it's gonna be all right. You can, I promise you, you're just gonna, it's, it's a good record, but it's gonna be okay. And then the actual constructing of the song and making sure that every note is right and that every word that's chosen, that can be laborious, it can be very arduous for me. And I feel like, am I making the right choice? Am I using the right? So it was actually a really good thing that when Urban Hang Suite came out that it was shelved for a year. So I had a year with a finished record to really look at what it was and make the right decisions about sequencing. While the first half of Urban Hang Suite would be filled to the brim with pulsating, danceable rhythms, by the second, the listener is witness to the more vulnerable lyrical craftsmanship of this 22-year-old artist. Day was another collaborator on the album, perhaps the most significant, with three writing and production credits, as well as playing various instruments across most tracks. Originally I'd been sent demos of it, and I was asked in order to write or produce them. The demos were so kind of finished and amazing sounding that I was like, what do you need me, <laughs> kind of thing. We ended up, yeah, writing three songs, and I worked on the backings with him, and produced it, and played on them and stuff, and then he had me play on other tracks on the album, so I played guitar on, on the other songs, did tracks on these songs, you know, kind of uh, spread myself over the record. He would also contribute to almost all of Maxwell's albums, as well as featuring him on his Sweetback album, also released in 1996. Despite all of the incredible songs they've made together, Whenever, Wherever, Whatever is undoubtedly the standout. It infuses Maxwell's love of Sade with its brainchild, but doesn't sound like a cheap impersonation. Wish I knew if I... 
While the theme of heartbreak is nothing original in music, this does show Maxwell's ability to touch on the general while making it feel so specific. Most would write a song with the conviction of yearning. This, however, he writes with acceptance and loyalty. Urban Hangsui is remembered as a seminal album of the 90s and neo-soul. Its success introduced an incredible artist to the world, as well as showing off the diversity its associated genre could explore. A movement was taking place. The establishment was quick, but maintaining it would be the challenge. The pioneers of neo-soul were releasing or had released their debut albums. The question was, what were they going to do next? On May 7, 1997, at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, Maxwell performs as part of MTV Unplugged. Many of the songs felt familiar, as they were revamped, stripped-down, orchestrated versions of what had appeared on Urban Hang Suite, but there was one performance that night that no one was prepared for. We came out, and then we did the unplugged, which was everyone got to you know to do a cover. That's just basically how it, unplugged did it. And of course, I got suggestions to do Al Green, Marvin Gaye, and I was like, you know, I think Kate Bush might be a good one. They're like, what? figure out how to put it together so you know her arrangement was very a certain way and I was like well, we need to make it really you know soulful
I love dichotomy. And the fact that I'm a man singing a song that a woman wrote from a woman's perspective, I thought would be really a cool bridge and would bridge the gap emotionally for not only the divide that we can feel sometimes between each other, men and women. I just thought it could work and I was just happy that I could hit those notes that day. having a baby by Kevin Bacon and I just thought as an 11 year old this is the prettiest thing I've ever heard and it's funny when I did it it wasn't like people really got it they were like what is this song and and then a couple months later, I'm getting calls about how, yo, this is my joint, you know? following year, a 12-inch black and red promotional vinyl was discreetly released. It contained five versions of a song to feature on his next album, Luxury, Coco Cure. Three of these tracks made up an extended version of the song, spanning over 15 minutes. The first section, Epilogue, is an atmospheric build-up of percussion and delicate guitar riffs. Then the synths come in, adding an essential piece to what would become the complete composition. There's the bass, perhaps the most prominent load-bearing structure on the entire album. If you were to look closely enough at the label, you would read, separated from the forthcoming full-length mythos, Embrya, due date. 6.30.98. Wonder what, but wonder not. I know that I'll be judged, criticized, observed. It's very conditional to put yourself in this position. When you actually do something of substance, then you're judged based on the last great thing, and then onward, onward, and onward, and it never stops. The second section, Monologue, contains the song as you would hear it on the album. The track itself is a series of similes and metaphors, articulating one's psychological and perhaps physical struggle out of a depressive state. Oh, I you, really... Shona, good 
chorus, though, reveals the panacea. Given that half of the neologism itself is the word cure, perhaps there's something in the other half, cocoa. The final third is the epilogue, which is much like the first being a stripped back, slight rearrangement, although this time with more of the instruments that make the song the centerpiece of the album. As promised, Embrya was released in late June of 1998. The album would only deliver two singles, Coco Cure being one of them. statement. It said to the world that an artist was not going to be restricted by some quasi-genre. Maxwell undoubtedly could have done an Urban Hang Suite Part 2, but he didn't. I think a lot of what my second album is, the, the riddle of it, uh, the, you know, the perplexing quality of it is, is, is inspired a lot of that sort of clear-cut expectation and understanding of who I'm supposed to be when I haven't even really started yet energy. But then there are other things that, you know, fall in line with why I did the album the way I did it. Despite its contrast, if you were to expect a natural progression from his first album, this would be it. Embryo for me is about a great self-awareness, the fact that I'm free from so many of the petty things that leave me to always feel so insecure about myself and, and not sure about my path and who I'm going to be. Whereas Urban Hang Suite is about me getting dumped. Strip away what makes it different, and you probably would have another Urban Hang Suite. The main components are there, he's just built around them. In spite of this, the album was nowhere near as successful or renowned in comparison, something that Maxwell predicted. Music is not trying to be a formula every time, you know? It's not a conveyor belt, it's an expression of a moment in time. When that record came out, it was awesome because all of you said, F all y'all, I'm buying it anyway, damn it. And it meant so much to be able to be creative, to not have to fit into a box, to be able to stretch, to grow, to uh, show people that soul music is clearly multifaceted and that it comes from many places and that we don't all have to be stereotypical, derogatory versions of ourselves to keep people excited about ourselves. For the fans that invested, the payoff was worth it. What makes Embrya different? Compositionally, its use of string arrangements and heavy bass gave it a more impactful sound, moving away from the smoothness of its predecessor to an intense landscape. Lyrically, there's more depth. Poeticisms are stronger, metaphors are more frequent, and guessing what everything means is an ongoing investigation for the listener, long past their first spin. I'm happy that Embryo wasn't quote-unquote popular. I'm not interested in being I mean, you have those formula people, they, they put out that record, it's gonna be what it is. It's like, it's not my thing. I'm, I'm into, you know, boutique type of creativity where you feel a shift.
There would be an opportunity for commercial redemption, though. When that following year, R. Kelly submitted a song titled Fortunate to Maxwell for use on the Life movie soundtrack. Never seen a sunshine like this Never seen the moon glow like this Never seen the waterfalls like this Never seen the lights off like this Never dug anyone like this Never had tasted lips to kiss Never had someone to miss Never heard a song quite like this It's not a Maxwell song, that is a R. Kelly song. R. Kelly wrote that song for the Life soundtrack. Just finished my crazy weird album, Embrya. He sent the song to me, I was in Puerto Rico. I heard it and I was just like, wow, this is so cool. The funny thing about the story is I never met him. So I basically got the track and from whatever I was sent on a cassette, uh, there was maybe some stems that he had sent. And, and then we just like added some new elements to it and the song is what the song is and I'm so happy you liked it. Despite a lacking involvement beyond recording the vocals, Maxwell makes it his own, which might explain how it became the most successful single of his career. In 2001, Maxwell releases his third studio album, Now. You know, Now just represents living the moment. For me, like the first record was about looking back at what you know inspired me to make music. The second record was about looking to the future, about what music would be, and this is just about experiencing the moment and appreciating it for what it is. The sound of the album is perhaps best categorized as R&B, but still does incorporate funk and soul in a fusion not too dissimilar from Neo Soul or Quiet Storm. This perhaps explains its success receiving critical acclaim and charting at number one on the Billboard 200. he challenged himself more with this project, still exploring the wide spectrum of love, but also topics of a more depressive state. Changed is perhaps the most obvious example of such feelings, beginning the loose narrative of betrayal, introducing it with an established dark feelings of his childhood 
and then relating it to his current circumstance. Back when I was four or three song, he's pleading for the past not to repeat itself, something in the hands of almost anybody but himself, a typical self-assessment of abandonment. It's a more uncommon exploration in music, rather than the typical post-breakup yearning, begging and eventual grieving, he's touching on the anger following desertion, somewhere between acknowledgement and acceptance. stuff and uh -huh. some funk stuff and yeah. some a little angry stuff too for you the got some angry stuff what kind of angry stuff you got oh you know y'all ladies we just causing stuff so hey <laughs> if you got a song like that thank you you know because <laughs> when you want when you want them they don't want you when you hear oh. you know the story who doesn't want Max? Okay. And what you know is funny. It's like people look at the situation and they think, oh, you know. But it's like you be, things become more of a challenge, you know. When things can, when when opportunities so much, then it's about a challenge. It's about I mean, somebody who's seeing you as opposed to what you do and what you represent. So. Themes of heartbreak run deep throughout Maxwell's discography, but perhaps the most poignant are those with elements of loneliness and longing. Sometimes you find yourself battling between the thing that pulls you creatively and the thing that pulls you emotionally in a person, you know. The biggest challenge is finding a balance between the two. You know, having music sort of balance out that real life relationship because in many ways you find yourself like kind of you have two girlfriends um, and a lot of musicians might think that the actual woman in their life is the mistress and the music's really the wife. It's a little difficult for a woman to deal with that. And you hope that maybe down the road, you can have both, you know? This ain't for the ones that just love for fun, that just love and run, that just hold the gun. This is for those that Have no need. This ain't for the war. This is only for lovers only. 
While most would write songs of singular love about themselves, Maxwell pens an ode to others. Not only does he write for the listener, he writes to them. There is no fourth wall. There is no distinction between the performer and the audience. It's best described as an experience shared by the two in the full range of their individual emotions. What they reflect on might differ, but an essential component of timeless music is universality. The selfless, broad assessment of one's own life while acknowledging that they're not the only one. For most, the highlight of the album Lifetime is an example of Maxwell's powerful songwriting, proving once again that simplicity can be very profound, as is apparent from the first line. I was reborn when I was broken. of themes of acceptance, a broad story that serves as a life lesson to the listener. Songs with deeper lyrics like this are usually regulated as fan favourites. However, Lifetime would receive heavy radio play while peaking at number five on the US Billboard Hot R&B Hip Hop Singles and Tracks chart. There was a time when love was unchosen It is a more stripped-back instrumental compared to previous album, but the song does keep the utilisation of horns and development of amplified background vocals. This allows the listener to focus in the lyrics and the vocal without obstruction. Maxwell's voice is the main instrument. I can let it all pass me by I can just try and try I can move to the light While generally not regarded as the best urban hang suite or the obscure fan favourite Embrya, now is just as an important developmental stage for Maxwell as an artist. While most of the instrumentals may come across as more hip-hop oriented, like most of what was on the charts at the time of its release, what made his first two albums great are still in there, along with the introduction of new instruments despite their subtlety. 
It's not just his evolution, though. He kept the producers and musicians throughout all of his projects, even beyond this era. That same group of newbies and legends from the first album. This is a critical component of his work, trust and comfort. A discography like this is full of vulnerability. The type of producer can't just hand to an artist on their way to the vocal booth. away from the limelight following the promotional tour for now, making only the occasional guest appearance on other artists' tracks. While he did still continue to work on music, he was an artist with nothing left to prove and an individual that had self-exposed the most coarse facets of his life. What is equally amazing is his drive. After a successful debut, many end up desperate for another hit and many fail. This doesn't phase Maxwell. He's aware that there is greater value in one person buying your album and listening to it from end to end, rather than 100 people hearing half of the album out of configuration on the radio. That is the attitude of an artist. Thank you for listening to John Cameron's Musicology. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or sharing on social media.